Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. At this particular mutual night, he left the group of kids whom he always was having a good time with, and he came over and started talking to me. And I wondered, what is going on? People don't talk to me. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was talking to me. And he was asking questions. And and finally, he asked the question, uh, what are you doing tomorrow night? Can we stop by and see you? That was my checkout time. I didn't intend to even be around tomorrow night. Welcome back to... The Hereby Called podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and sitting across from me is uh, my friend, my friend, Lanny Owens. Lanny, how are you doing today? Good morning, Jordan. It's good to see you. <laughs> it is a good, it's a beautiful morning. It's rained a ton here in Mesa, which isn't common. Um, I always like to give a little background on how I know the guest uh, on the podcast. And Lanny is, the way I met Lanny is, is different than I've met anyone else before. Uh, I went to the temple and had a really good experience. And Lanny was one of the temple workers at the time uh, that was that was helping out. And so after uh, my time was done, I you know thanked Lanny and thought nothing of it. Went and and changed and was leaving the the temple. And Lanny had uh, he had switched shifts, and so he was on kind of the welcome desk or the exit desk. And he stopped me, and and we had this conversation. And and now I've known Lanny for seven years. Um, Lanny is, Lanny is a great friend to me. Um, he, he's someone that I come to for advice. Um, he's someone that has a lot of life experience. He, he understands a lot of what anyone's going through. He's had highs and lows, uh, himself. And I really appreciate him, uh, sharing his experiences with me, uh, specifically one experience that he shared with me is, and it's kind of more of a, a taboo topic, um, but it's dealing with, with feelings of suicide. Lanny had an experience where a missionary really kind of saved, saved his life. And I, Lanny, I was wondering if you'd kind of share what was going on. And, and I guess, how, how old were you at, 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 the, at that time? Somewhere between about, probably about 16, between 15 to 16 years old. Okay. And so, so I, was, I was just barely driving a car. So it would have been at least about 16. Okay. So yeah, tell us who was Lanny as a 15 or 16 year old? At that time, I was kind of a happy kid, but I was also a social reject. I was a very, physically as a very skinny kid. I'd had a lot of medical issues in my younger years and my growth was very, was, was, uh, very slow. So I wasn't athletic in any way. And I wasn't involved in anyone's, anyone's lives. Uh, but at this particular chapter of my life, I had gone about a year without anyone ever really talking to me, like you and I are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Other than, hi, Lanny, how are you? It was just never a discussion with anybody. I mean, even, not even with members of my, of my bishopric other than Lanny, how are you? They never sat down and interviewed us 
like they do with the youth today. So no one had any idea what was really going on in my mind. And I had reached a point uh, where I was experiencing, which I didn't realize at that time, a a level of depression. And uh, uh, I I felt so rejected and so alone and so worthless and and of so no value to anyone that I felt like my life wasn't worth living. And I started thinking about take about leaving life by checking out. And I even went so far to start preparing to do so. Well, <clears throat> at this time in life, there was a young man whose name was Elder Kurt. And uh, he was from Germany. And he had to come to the U.S. MTC for about four to six months to learn English because he didn't speak English. And his first area of assignment was our ward. And uh, when he came, he was a lively, handsome, exciting, fun-loving young man, young missionary. And everybody loved Elder Kurt. Uh, He thought his English was pretty good when he got here. (laughs) And then when he got here, and started speaking, he realized how bad his English really was. So he was making lots of mistakes, and people would laugh with him, not at him, at his mistakes. And he, and he could laugh with himself, too. And uh, everybody was helping him. For about the first two or three weeks that he was in our ward, I, as always, sat back and in the corner or on the side of the culture hall watching everybody having fun. And having and watching him interacting with everyone, uh, he loved everybody, and everybody loved him. Well, it was a Wednesday night, the night before I had chosen to take my life. The next day, I had everything set up on the desert to be gone. I felt like I was in, had it arranged enough that no one was going to find me. I didn't want to be found, and. At this particular mutual night, it was about 10 or 15 minutes before it was come to an end, he left the group of kids whom he always was having a good time with, and he came over and started talking to me. And I wondered, what is going on? People don't talk to me. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was talking to me, and he was asking questions. And, and finally, he asked the question, uh, what are you doing tomorrow night? Can we stop by and see you? That was my checkout time. I didn't intend to even be around tomorrow night. But I kind of stuttered and said, sure, come on by. And so he postponed my checkout time. He he and his companion, they came to the house and they had a good time. And uh, he was talking to me again about things I can't even remember, except that he was talking to me. And then mom and dad got home from work and they were glad to see him and invited him to come to dinner the next night. Well, of course, that puts off my checkout time <laughs> again. And that just kept happening. My checkout time kept being put off. Well, Elder Kurt became the very best friend I'd ever had in my life at that point of my life. And I loved Elder Kurt. The time came as missionaries, as it always happens with missionaries, they get transferred 
he got transferred to Las Vegas. That was part of our mission at that time. And during that period of time, he continued to write letters to me. He wasn't writing letters to anyone else, but he was writing letters to me. Well, as missions come and go, he got released and went back home to, to Germany, Kaiserslautern, in Germany. And uh, uh, he would continue to write letters to me. And back then it took two weeks to get a letter to Germany and two weeks to get a letter back, you know, before texting. It's messaging, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so anyway, Kurt was my friend. Well, because of Kurt and my uh, self-esteem improved and uh, circumstances took place that when I turned 19, I was able to go on my full-time mission to Washington, Oregon, and Idaho of the Northwestern states back then. And at the end of my mission, I got, came back home and I wrote a letter to Kurt to, to give a report. The letter came back undeliverable. He had moved and that broke my heart. You know, we, again, no Facebook. No, no way you can find him now. He's... Yeah, no way to find him. And, uh, but he, he was gone. Well, six months later, I had to go to Vietnam. I got, I got drafted into the army. I was infantry in Vietnam and which is another whole nother story. Which but, we'll, we'll talk about that one of these days. Okay. And, uh, got out of the army, came back home and I write another letter to elder Kurt Neiman. And again, on the front of the letter, I said, please forward. It came back undeliverable. So I lost my life. I lost my friend. Well, my wife and I ended up getting married, meeting, and we got married. And eventually we were able to go to, up to BYU. We had, it was the summer, the very first summer that we were up there. During classes, I happened to be reading the state newspaper. I was going through it and going through it and going through it. And they opened up one page. And there in the middle of this page was a picture of Elder Kurt. I could not believe it. All the places in the world. Of all the places, the picture was in on the page with the obituaries. Elder Kurt, age 29, married Connie from Las Vegas, whom he had met on his mission. That's why the letters came back. He had moved back to, to Las, the U.S. and met, met Connie. But age 29 with three little boys and uh, he got cancer and he died. And as I read that obituary, my heart sank. I don't think I've ever mourned for anyone as much as I mourned for my friend Kurt. And I carried that obituary around with me for years. Well, uh, my wife and I, we left BYU, ended up coming back to Arizona. <clears throat> Eventually, I got into the life insurance business, selling life insurance for New York Life. And I had been in the business here for about three or four years when I wrote a very large policy. It was over a million dollars on a, on a man here in, in Mesa. And I won't use his name, I'll, but I'll call him... Uh, John, we'll just say he's John, just to, for confidentiality. 
And so I write this this huge policy, at least it was a huge policy this, back in that day. This uh, is 1970s, 1980s? Yeah, or? in the 1970s. Okay. And uh, a few years later, John takes his family and business and moves back up to northern Utah. No big deal. The policy's in force. I, I keep doing my service work, and there's a lot of things involved with taking care of him in the, in the policy. Well, a few years later, a, a number of years ago, uh, John dies, and I do my job of taking care of a death claim. Uh, and I call up there to talk to the family, and his daughter answers the phone. His name, her name is Cindy. I'm using a different name. Cindy answers the phone. Cindy, Kurt. I said, Kurt? I've only known one Kurt, and he was from Kaiserslautern, Germany. And uh, she gasps, and she said, ah, that's my husband's father. We couldn't believe it. So I make special arrangements just a few years ago, and I drive up to northern Utah to meet with with uh, Elder Kurt's son. Elder Kurt's son, who was two years old when his daddy died. And he tell, talks to me for an hour and a half, telling me about how life was growing up with, in poverty. Because mm -hmm. his mom didn't have an education. She didn't have a way of really providing for the family. And she was, she was strapped. And for an hour and a half, he, it was just a heartbreaking story to see the circumstances of, of growing up. And the learning experiences those kids had to go through which actually made all of them very, very strong in their own way. But when he finished his story, with tears coming down his face, said, you know, I've just always had one regret. I've always regretted that mom didn't save something from me, for me that was my dad's. You know, like a pair of socks, or a watch, or a ring, or a necktie, just something, just something that belonged to my dad. So I could hold it in my hands, knowing that this was my dad's. And then I said, well, now I know why I'm here. I reached into my briefcase. I pulled out a file. In the file were all of the letters that Kurt sent to me. And a special little gift that Kurt gave me before being transferred to Las Vegas. I said, you know, I think the reason he gave me these things was so that someday I could give it to you. And he wept. Now look, let's look back and see the results. From the day that I first met Kurt to the day that I'm giving his son, who was only two years old when he died, these letters and this little gift, 50 years. 50 years had passed. So to me, the lesson of the story or the, is simply, Heavenly Father knew that 50 years earlier, 
he needed to have someone who would love Kurt enough to save stuff to give to Kurt's son 50 years later. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. A lot of the people I interview haven't been around, haven't been on earth for 50 years. So it's hard to, sometimes it's hard for us or hard for anyone to see the end of a story. And, uh, I appreciate your, the, the perspective that you can bring with that to see the culmination of all these events. As a result of that, his son gave me the uh, funeral program for his mother because I didn't have a picture of Kurt. And uh, uh, on the picture on the front, because his mother later also died of cancer, uh, on the front of her program was the wedding picture of, of her and Kurt. And that funeral program to this day sits on my desk back in my office where I see it every day. That's how important that was to me. So we never know when we're going to do something. Three Sundays ago, their son, Todd, who uh, was, was the two-year-old, sent me a copy of a letter that I mailed to his mother and to them over about 12, 14 years ago. And he's kept it all of this time. And that was before she passed away, of course. But he, mailed, he, he took a picture of it and mailed that to me over a text just three Sundays ago. That letter had such a, that's kind of an impact even on them. So, and Lenny, getting back to you, that, that Elder Kurt postponed you know, this, this date that you had set, did Elder Kurt, did anyone, had, had you ever told anyone that these plans or did he even know before no. going on your mission or any of this? No one knew what I, what I was going through. No, no one knew. I, uh, as I look back, the level of, uh, of despair and depression that I was experiencing was really huge. I didn't know it was, that's what I was going through, but no one knew. I was alone. I was a social reject. And we were talking about this before. Unfortunately, I've, I've attended recently a, a funeral of a, a young woman who, who took her own life. What advice would you give to someone who's, who's feeling those feelings that you felt? Because it, it sounds like in you, in retrospect, you believe certain things. And these things that you believed about yourself made you feel it's not even worth it to be on. It, you might as well just not be here anymore. Yeah. You see, you can be sincerely right. You can be sincerely wrong. It doesn't make any difference. You might be sincerely wrong. But to, to you, you're right. And if no one has any idea what you're going through, what you're experiencing, you're right. There is a lesson taught by Stephen R. Covey that said, seek first to understand and then to be understood. 
Well, for me, in my, that chapter of my life, no one made any effort to understand who I was and where I was and why I was the way I was. But now, for me, it's so obvious when I see people to often be able to immediately feel emotions and experiences that they're having just by watching and observing them. Because you recognize those same things in yourself at one point. Yeah. And so whenever I see that, I always stop and reach out. It's just making an effort to be aware of the unspoken needs and feelings of others, which is now my personal mission statement simply says, I strive to be intensely aware of the unspoken needs and feelings of others. That's my mission statement. And one time while visiting with Stephen R. Covey in a huge meeting, he was talking about mission statements. And he asked how many people had written down their mission statement. Only four or five of us raised our hands. And uh, he got finally got to me and had me stand in front of everybody and express what my mission statement was. And that's what I told him. And then without saying a word and just simply staring at me for nearly a minute and a half, <laughs> which is a long time, a large group <laughs> yeah, of people. Yeah, a big meeting. Yeah. Eyes on you. Yeah. Then he finally responded and said, Mr. Owens, that is undoubtedly one of the most powerful mission statements I've ever heard in my life. Can we talk about it after the meeting? And we did so for a half hour. Wow. And it sounds like all this kind of really stems from Elder Kurt, from him reaching out to you. And, and now you have this empathy and, and understanding of what other people are experiencing. It all comes back to Elder Kurt. Wow. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this episode and continue telling more stories. Uh, but the landing, thanks again for, for sitting down and, and sharing that. I know it's, a uh, uh, it's, it's going to change people's lives, you know? Um, and I'm, and, and at, for missionaries going out, I don't think any of us have ever have any idea of what kind of impact we're going to have on people. You think you can go and, and teach and baptize and, uh, Elder Kurt didn't do that, but he, he kept you here and he's, he's kept your influence here. Yeah. And that's what I love. So this, my, this story I've told to dozens and dozens and dozens of missionaries. And I always remind them wherever they're going to, wherever they're at, to, uh, beware of the Lannies. They never know what type of an effect they're going to have on their mission when they see somebody in the ward who might be an active member of the ward, but beware of the kids that seem like they're social rejects and be their friends. That might be their mission mm. and purpose of their mission while they're on their mission. Amen. Well, Annie, thanks again for, for letting me stop by. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and wrap this episode up and uh, we'll put on social media so you can share with your, your family and friends. And so everyone can, can, can hear this. Sweet.